This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie fans. Back. Welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie here at Popcorn Talk. And today, we take the life of Winston Churchill and isolate it to the first month he becomes prime minister. We're going to talk, of course... The Darkest Hour. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. And In I'm the Phil's... war room. That's right. In the war room. And I'm Phil Svitek. A couple of things right off the bat. First off, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Uh, as you can imagine, we're going to talk about this movie. But unlike most critics, we're actually going to talk about it from the perspective where we've seen the movie. So therefore, this is spoiler-filled. You've had your warning. And you can always follow along in terms of our notes. We provide a rundown for you. Just go into the description box. There's a PDF. Click on that and uh, enjoy. And we welcome you to comment rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff if you haven't already done so. And as we always kick off, overall thoughts for The Darkest Hour. Ladies first. Ah, the only woman in the war room today. Uh, I I enjoyed this film. Admittedly, I had to see it twice. I got more out of it the second time than I did the first. Um, and I appreciate why it's getting a lot of love from the Academy and just, you know, nominations all around. This is a very solid film. The writing, the acting, visuals... Um, the pace of it, I what and like I love World War Two. I do have a fascination for for that era, and this is just another side that people know of but don't really know the d- nitty gritty of what actually went behind the scenes with Churchill. And again, it's just another story that more people should know. And I think this film does a great job of explaining it to people. Um, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was very funny that you, the way you prefaced it by saying, I admittedly, you had to see it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like you had to go in for the history lesson again. Yep. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It reminded me, actually, of two movies. Um, number one, it reminded me of Hidden Figures, because uh, when I review that movie, I say that, that Hidden Figures is the flip side of the right stuff. So while the right stuff is going on, there was this other story that we didn't know about, right? And um, I make that here because this is the flip side of Dunkirk. You know, it's we saw the events that happened at Dunkirk, which play a main part in this first month of Churchill's thing. We hear that speech in Dunkirk. But this says what's going on while Dunkirk is happening with those soldiers and the Air Force and everything. So in that way, I also I found it very, very fascinating. It also made me think of the King's speech. Yep. Because... We're talking about Winston Churchill is a character, okay, within himself. I mean, he is, he could be a drunkard. I mean, he loved his scotch in the morning, noon, after, you know, and night. He had his cigars. He was very um, acerbic uh, in the way that he talked to people. Uh, and some of it was very funny, which I found great. And these are the types of roles that garner the Academy's attention. 
So he's an historical figure who, 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 within every right. He's a character within himself. There's no doubt that, you know, why it's getting this Academy uh, attention. Gary Oldman's performance is here is is fan- it's just fantastic. He becomes, you believe, this is Winston Churchill. And uh, he does it through posture, through eyes. Uh, he's just fantastic uh, in this movie. And it's just directed very, very beautifully shot, um, both from a cinematography standpoint, from an editing standpoint. Uh, I, I felt that this was a movie that, like the King's Speech and even Hidden Figures, you had moments to sort of kind of cheer for and go, that's awesome. And so I really appreciated that. Uh, and it, and it, it's all done within a historical context. Uh, and I, you know, I really enjoyed all the performances. Kristen Stark, Scott Thomas, who I haven't seen in forever. I haven't seen him for a while. She was great, you know. And then, of course, my my favorite, uh, Lily James, who, admittedly, almost anybody could have played that role because it wasn't like substantive. But I was glad that it was her because I just love watching her. I think she was great in the role. So. Um, yeah, all across the bar, even Ben Mendelsohn, I thought, put in great performances. Everybody here is very solid, and it's a very, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't feel like you're taking uh, history medicine, so to speak, uh, and it, because it's entertaining to watch as well. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much. I appreciate the movie's ability to take what otherwise in history books as a, you know, Ch- Churchill was elected prime minister while Jeremy was attacking Britain and so forth, or the Belgians in particular and so forth. And France. So, you know, you take that and then you're able to expand upon it. And that's what I like is that uh, we give context to really what's going on and we start to go into the details that often get overlooked. And furthermore, part of that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about right before we went on, we joked that most of the viewing audience was over the age of 25. Ironically... Most people that I know that are under 25 will use a Winston Churchill quote as Monday motivation posts. <laughs> and, and I say that because, yes, it's funny and whatnot, but he obviously has a lot of great quotes. Yeah. But at the same time, when you look at this movie, it doesn't mean he was the best man. And even so, you know, he was the best man at the time up until 45 when, when his whole party was not elected and everything switched over. So it's kind of interesting to look at it in that way and demystify an iconic character and and really make him human. Yeah. And it was almost, uh, and again, the part that I didn't quite realize, too, I'm no big history buff other than what I see in the movies. Uh, That can be a good thing or a bad thing. But he was more or less set up to fail. He was set up for this failure um, so that, the party could get the person that they might really want in there. and um, But he just, he plugged along. And you can't take away from, and, and again, without having met Winston Churchill, the way he was portrayed, the charisma that the man um, had, and how people would look at his speeches, and how maybe even the common folk would agree with him. And we'll talk about various scenes, like the subway scene and such. So um, he definitely had a way with words. Uh, he was like a like a very skilled playwright, you know, and how he used his words. So, right, I appreciate the fact that this film like does a great job of showing uh, what Churchill was 
getting into, especially in the position he had to essentially take the reins or like man the ship while it was sinking. <laughs> and and you have to just like appreciate the fact of all, all the factors he was dealing with because he was put into a a situation where it was doomed to fail. Yeah. And like you just appreciate what he actually had to go through under all that pressure and what he managed to do during it. It's funny that you said under all that pressure because even though if you've watched Dunkirk, you know history, you know how things turn out. But even while watching this movie, <laughs> I still felt that there was pressure. <laughs> you still mm-hmm. felt a little bit tense. Um, and, and that to me too is a great spark of this movie. That it, Not that it keeps you guessing, but... You still have that level of you feel the weight of the world mm-hmm. that what's going on because of the decision that he makes could go so drastically wrong. Well, it it could. And, you know, it's one of those it's a defining moment in not only British history, but the world history, because if, if things didn't go the way they did, uh, who knows how things might have turned out. But I, I just one of the things that I really took away from this movie is just the ability to really think and be like okay you guys are absolutely crazy yes he's in a shit position but nonetheless one of his steadfast things is you guys are insane if you guys want to negotiate with hitler yeah like are you like you guys think i'm dumb like yes it might be futile but you guys are absolutely out of your mind yeah one of my favorite lines in this movie and again it just goes to his his way of words was you're negotiating with a tiger while your head is in its mouth (laughs) it's like and and he couldn't be more adamant and he definitely is a in a way you could sort of describe this movie as an underdog movie you know because all the forces were against him in trying to convince people that you don't negotiate, you can't negotiate with the crazy man. Um, you know, because people were even say, even a cl- broken clock is right twice, twice a, day. a day. And they, they brought up the facts that he had been wrong and he's not, you know, he's uh, not infallible. Is that the right? Yeah. And, and he had his foibles. Let's, let's face it. He could show up drunk. Um, but I think because of that character that makes him who he is and because he was right and proven to be right, um, it, it makes – and that's why I say the movie has its applause moments, like feel-good mm-hmm. moments in this movie. And that's why I really found it entertaining. Yeah, and I like, will definitely get into Gary Oldman and his portrayal, but I think he did a great job of showing – uh, Churchill being so adamant against, uh, you know, the the peace negotiations, mm-hmm. making sure it wasn't written down on, on record. But also, he did a great job of portraying just, like, the human emotions to it, that he would be a person who is conflicted. He, second-guessing. Yeah, second-guessing himself. Mm-hmm. He's so adamant against these peace negotiations, but he's so under pressure by his peers and the whole country that maybe he should even consider it right. just for to save everybody. Right. And um, I think he did a great job of balancing that confliction with it. Yeah. And that's I, I do believe that this movie makes a wonderful companion piece to Dunkirk. You know, it really does. I mean, we have two excellent movies about history, and they really do show the both sides. Like, they parallel each other, and they're so integral to each other. Go ahead. Right. It's such as, like, three, if you think about it. You have King's Speech first, then you should watch Dunkirk, and then you should watch Darkest Hour. They all, like, really, and I think they're all three solid films. 
It could be a movie night for you. <laughs> Throne and Atonement. That's a Joe Wright movie. Yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> there you go. You can throw that <laughs> in the mix. That would be a well. knee slapper. But it, they're three really great films that all parallel with the, the time of each other that really makes you understand what was actually happening during World War II. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm going to pull out a Churchill quote because I think it's so fitting and Obviously, it's fitting because he wrote it. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And I think that encapsulates his entire spirit of, you know, going after this war. And when you sort of really break it down, uh, a a lot of the pressures in terms of the people within his party and and from, from Brits, you know, they were very much in this ideology, as far as I can see, in the sense they, they just won World War one and you know what they want to focus on rebuilding their economy and sort of focus on themselves rather than build up this army right and you know now whether they liked it or not that's what germany was doing and they were doing it by force and so without wanting to they had to now re-enter what essentially was their was their worst nightmare yeah and they had to save their army in in you know in what was at the time considered unsavable just because of the how they were trapped geographic Um, location yeah and and again i couldn't help but think of the movie dunkirk when when churchill has that conversation and goes get the civilian boats we need civilian boats to go over there you know and it and i was happy to have watched dunkirk because i had not only geography but i had historical context yeah. As to what's mm-hmm. going on. So it made me think that those movies could intertwine and be like made into a, a huge co-collaboration director's cut, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make me even more editing. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, in lieu of uh, the angry comments or of people saying, well, we're here reviewing Darkest Hour. Let's stick to that as more. Cause, but yes, I agree with you. I think the two work well. And uh, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen... The Dunkirk, definitely check it out if you Absolutely. Um, don't see it on a telephone or iPad. It's no. not the experience you want. And don't see this on a telephone or iPad either. Because no. I did find this movie visually captivating. You know, and the use of light in interiors and exteriors. Absolutely. But it was great. And we will talk for sure more about that. But, uh, you know, we I like that we start we start with an action and we're right in the middle of it. And then... As I said at the beginning, it only takes about a month. Uh, one of the, one of the only negatives that I have about this movie is that it, it it engrossed you so well that by the end, I was just kind of wait, this is it. Right. Tell the rest, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was kind of very you know very curious about that. It could be Same a mini series. Go for it. Why not? But isn't that great that that could get you so involved in the history that you want to know more? Yeah, like, to me, absolutely. that's the strength of this movie. Absolutely. So, I think I was right. yelling at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> right. I completely agree because I think it also does a great job of showing the audience just how much Churchill did in the short amount of time he was put in power. Yeah. Yeah. It, it speaks well to the man. And the device of the calendar flipping, I thought, was very useful and it was done stylistically in a way that it wasn't cliche. 
I thought it was very, you know, because sometimes it would be like one day and then another time it would skip a couple of days because this is where we are. Um, I thought that, that that use of that technique was very was done very well. Yeah, I, I like the beginning how they established how he got into power. Like they they right. kicked out Chamberlain and it's like no, now we need someone. And literally within twenty four hours, he was put into power. Right. I'm like whoa, fast turnaround. Whether he wanted it or not. <laughs> yeah, and, but like they had to move fast because they're at war. Their men were dying. Right. And um, I also like, and again, I'm not sure how historical it was, but part of it was uh, you know the whole thing with the handkerchief. Like if he waves the handkerchief, we're all in. If he doesn't, we're standing back. And it was such an important part. It's like, wow, that's that's how they're voting. Well, <laughs> the, the guy that was deposed, his handkerchief. Right, but it was also a great setup too because yes. we saw the the first time when Chir- Churchill went in, and Parliament did not like his speech. We're like, yeah. oh great, this is how he's going to start off this his whole right. term. But then at the end, such a big payoff. Yeah, such a big payoff when everyone's cheering. Absolutely. So let's let's kind of talk. Well, one of the things I appreciated when we're talking about all these pressures is you're essentially watching the British government and how it operates, and sometimes you have to go through the. the I really appreciated the turn of the king because when they first got on uh, at the start of all of it, it was just like, okay, we have to meet. <laughs> I can't do Monday or whatever it is. I can't do I this time. breakfast. Have a lunch. <laughs> That's my nap time. That's my nap time. <laughs> and it was just, it was just out of necessity. You both men knew I don't want to do this. Right. The least bit, and then the fact that. So he's going through the actual necessary steps of just having to do certain things. And then eventually, when we talk about that shift and so forth, you talked about Parliament. In this sense, they become friends and allies. Yeah. I did love the moment when the king, and this is like during the whole confliction with with Churchill's, like, should he talk peace negotiations? And then when the king actually went to his place, sat him down and be like, I believe in you and i trust you whatever you do i'm on your side i was like all right now that we we have that true trust and loyalty between each other that you, you know whatever churchill does it's he's backed by the king himself even if the the whole country doesn't like it the king is for him yeah and it's a, for me that was one of those like you know uh the warm and huggy moments because there were three instances of the king and in one point the king says you frighten me like, you really frightened me. And at the quote-unquote darkest hour, close to that darkest hour, the king shows up at his flat, his house, and he's in the basement all alone. And it's like, oh. And they sit down. They have this civil conversation. And to your point, when he agrees and he says, I'm going to back you. And he goes, so I don't frighten you anymore? And he goes, no, just a little. <laughs> that, to me, it was like humorous, but I... That's when they're. That's when the characters evolved, and I really appreciate what, what what that scene hinges on is performance, and you just buy it, and it's meant to be somewhat emotional. So the way it's directed uh, and staged, uh, I thought it was brilliant. I love that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes yeah, in the movie. It's a great scene, and it also just shows that Churchill's not in it alone, because yeah. essentially he is making a big decision that's based the country's fate but knowing that someone else is like supporting his decision right. it shows that not all the blame would go to him essentially yeah and don't forget too there was a scene with the king in which 
you know, he was at, at pretty much asked he or, or told he should maybe get out of Dodge. Go to Canada. And, yeah, and he's <laughs> like, well, what should I do? And so that, too, with him going, you know what? You're right about Hitler. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you on this. I think you're right. We shouldn't be forced to move. Like, I shouldn't have to. And it, all those, all that culminated into uh, a really good scene, and then Churchill's able to go forward. And then, of course, another great scene is the scene in the, in the, in the subway. Well, let's yeah. talk about to. that. Simply, you guys keep saying that there wasn't a lot of support for him. Up until that moment, you don't really know. And now, granted, they they do a beautiful job of layering certain moments of that where uh, you guys brought up Lily James. So in particular with Elizabeth, when she's laughing at the victory versus up your bum <laughs> sign, <laughs> that's one of those moments that that it just shows that why people could the common man could get behind Churchill and, and sort of. You know, laugh at him. Not laugh at him, but laugh with him, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, I think it shows a disconnect between the leaders of Britain wanting to avoid things at all costs versus, okay, what's truly, A, the best interest of the people, B, what do the people actually want? And that was, if if you, you know, I know it wasn't as prevalent, but that was a takeaway for me of there's this, this huge disconnect between the two. Yeah, and I think the movie does a great job of establishing that his own parliament and government may not be on Churchill's side, but the people are. So what's more important? You kind of have to, you know, there's there's the disconnect just with the country. When your own countrymen believe you. But the people you work with don't. Right, and and you don't ha- you don't quite know the belief of your countrymen. All you're doing is being fed whether it's negative or positive information from from your politics. And that scene in the subway, albeit it didn't really happen in real life, but for but, cinematic but he did, reasons. He did take the subway a couple so it's mm-hmm. it's rooted in with enough right. actuality that it's not just pulled out of someone's yeah, bum. It, <laughs> <laughs> but for cinematic reasons it works really well too in the way that it was filmed that these people like they're almost snapshots, and he gained a better confidence of himself. Going, oh my God, people, people really are listening. The people are listening to me, um, and and again, it's just one of those warm and fuzzy moments that doesn't feel like it sticks out. It fits right within this movie, and it does it so very well. And those those actors, the supporting cast, including the kids, were, were they were great. At, at at the interaction because I almost felt like it was a like a like a townhouse like a town hall meeting in a sense I, th- right. I thought that they were real people. I, I love the subway scene; it was my favorite scene in the whole film because just the timing of the scene in the film was perfectly placed because it was a nice break away from all the tension and pressure that Winston was going through. And visually, it looks so different from everything because it was warm, it was underground, the lighting was warmer, the atmosphere was warmer, the people were warmer. Mm-hmm. And getting the, the actual confidence from his countrymen, from all different perspectives, from women, from men, from black, from white, you know, it, it was just a great moment of inspiration that, like, got him into a better mental state before he talked to Parliament. 
And it, it was just a perfect moment, especially when he was getting everybody's names. And then he mentioned it later to Parliament, everybody's <laughs> names he just uh, met. I Like, I liked him just as a person alone because he really did care about the people. Yeah. And that just made him, uh, like, a more humanistic person that you would back up. And no matter how crazy slash, you know, outrageous his... his um, Things were, you know, like his orders or mm-hmm. what he wanted to do for the country. You you back him up because he actually was caring for his own people. Yeah. And he was, when you think about it, too, he's actually somewhat shielded for the public. Okay. So he doesn't, at least as portrayed in the movie, he doesn't know the public perception. And there's a leading into the subway when he first walks into the subway and he's looking at the map. And he's like, how do I get to here? And the person's like looking up at him. He's like. Oh, he goes, oh, my God, they recognize me? And the way it, she goes, well, you go over, and he goes, well, that seems easy enough. Thank you. And he walks off, and they're sitting there, like, slack jots, still going, oh, my God, that's Churchill. And he's, like, thinking nothing of it. I'm just asking directions. But it's a really great scene that sets up everything else in that subway about him. Let me ask you guys this. Do you think that was a change for him because he is so gruff and so bullheaded? Or so does it signify symbolize a change within him or is it a matter of he knows the people the, the people that he's working with and against oftentimes in the war room that's he knows that's how he needs to be but with the let's say the common man there's no need for it they're not doing anything wrong right i i think it was just a not not really a change in a character but also a more bigger revealing of who the person actually was because we saw moments in the beginning of the film and peppered throughout that he wasn't actually a good guy he was a family man he cared about his family he had a good wife and loving daughters and and a son and so like you know he cared about people he had a soft side and also like i love the moments where he had soft side for animals yeah. like he was feeding the dog at the table he was trying to get the cat from under the bed like you know on some level he's a good guy right. and then to surround him by his own countrymen bringing him on like a level of just everybody else made him more likable so i i think it just helped show a like a better side that made him become more rational in his decisions. Yeah, and I would even say, I mean, number one, I think it's a great question um, for a topic of discussion. And you're right. You, you did have his love of animals, his love for his wife, for sure. And and, all, and again, all I kept on thinking behind, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas's performance was behind every great man, there's a greater woman. She mm-hmm. was such a, She was such a strong and an emotionally supportive woman uh, that I, that really affected uh, the way in which this character of Churchill um, performed and acted. Um, but I also think that there was another scene, too, in which we really got to see his humanistic side. And this is when he was sitting with Elizabeth Layton, played by Lily James, and he asks her about the picture on her desk. And she tells the story about, oh, it's her brother, and uh, he was at... Calamari. Calamari. And, Calais. Ca- and Calais. Calais. And he died. And there was just a scene of pure silence and just the way he was staring at Lily James. And it you could tell from from, from Oldman's performance that again, it's not this didn't happen, but you you could tell by his performance that he understood. And no words were gonna affect 
what how she was going to feel. And she's like, what are you staring at? Because I'm just taking it in. I'm just looking at you. And I thought that, too, was a very humanistic moment mm-hmm. for this man, um, being that their relationship started with her uh, being essentially tossed out <laughs> of the room. Um, it, she became an important part. Also, yeah, it was a good turning point as well for for that relationship because it showed, I think this was the first time we actually showed like his decisions and actions affected other people Correct. because this was an actual family member of hers and you can see how she got like not, not over emotional but you can see how it did affect her and this was probably you can safely say this was the first person he actually knew where his actions affected people and like immediately after that i love how he brought her into the boardroom and made her more involved right there are no women allowed here Earth today, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that was very, I thought that was great too. Great cinematic. Well, you license. got to see the duality of it because, it, you know, I, when you get close to that level, yeah, it's very heartbreaking. But then he also shows her the magnitude of the decisions he has to make. And yes, while he wishes he could protect every single individual of Britain possible, it, at the end of the day, it's the four thousand men versus three hundred thousand, and we're going to need it. Otherwise, guess what? You're worried about one person dying. We're all getting wiped out. Right. So yeah. it, it, it kind of... I, I like how he doesn't level the playing field, but they both begin to understand each other's perspectives. And it further even elevates the hard decisions he does have to make because he has to keep that in mind, but still say, no, we have yes. to do this. But it brings a, humani- a humanitarian look at the war too and how it affects even the people that work around him and it could affect those people in parliament it could affect everybody it could affect the people on the train uh and i like that and i think that's the importance of that scene uh, and it does solidify the relationship um with elizabeth who is a real character and who was his uh, secretary so to speak a typist um so it was again it was just another one of those nice little scenes that 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 that, that played out yeah, I, I really like Leighton for for the small amount of role she was in. Uh, she did bring the emotional side mm-hmm. and like would check Winston every once in a while. Yes. And and I I think that's great for someone I don't want to say as lowly as his typist, but someone who is just there being like this is how it affects the the regular citizen. And she was essentially a regular citizen. So um, I, I liked that emotional balance that he mm-hmm. needed to have. I, well, I think, in a way, one of one of Elizabeth's first interactions is with his wife. And so in many ways, I think Elizabeth is an extension of the wife because the wife can't go to work with him, mm-hmm. right. and she, nor does she want to. Um, but I think they have a cohesiveness working together. Agreed. Um, whether... I think more subconscious, but they're on the same level. And so, hey, I'm going to keep him at check at home. You're going to keep him at check there. <laughs> at work, yeah. 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 I did love the, the role of the women in this because he was such a boisterous person. And he had to be. Like, he had hard decisions to make. And he, he was very t- cantankerous at some times. But I, I think it was very natural to have... The women calm him down a bit and, uh-huh. and dial him back and, and rein him in because sometimes you you need that person to be like take a minute and neutralize him. And, and not only that though, um, not even just to calm him down, but just to give the support. And that's where I found that uh, 
Clemmy, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. I, I felt that she was Clemmy just Clemmy. so 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 wonderful in this role. That yeah, she she is that greatest woman behind the great man. She really is because I, I just don't think without her that maybe mm. history would have unfolded. I, I, I'll be honest. I I believe that that at least the or as portrayed in Darkest Hours. I think that she had as much to do with his character and his fortitude uh, for him to press forward, to yeah, carry and, on, to keep calm and carry on. Right. I, I loved Clementine because she was very well aware of the situation that she was in. And she said it at the beginning, like, we are your family. We know what we're going into. We know that we're your second priority, which is sad if you think about it. But she's very well aware of that. And she, she doesn't let it bother her or change her her ways and stuff but i did like those moments of vulnerability when she she's like this is the life i signed up for Mm -hmm. well to that point you know she further adds hey at least now our sacrifice is for something Mm -hmm. like we've way you you fought to get to this position granted at the start of it it's the worst position you could get the worst time you can have it at but nonetheless, this is what you've built up for, and so you know what we're we're um, vindicated in our beliefs. Mm-hmm. Now, just for my mom, I'll say this: my mom is a firm believer that if women ruled the world, there'd be no war. Anyway, moving on. I like just cat fights. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> better than better than You're any of this. It. All right. I, I do want to talk about, speaking of cat fights, uh, Chamberlain and Halifax because hmm. yeah. they, they, were, they were sort of our foil in all of this. Absolutely. I, I, like, I did like them on, for just the, the conflict within the system. You can tell there was plotting. You're like, yes. oh, crap. He has humongous decisions to make for the country, and now he's fighting his own government, and they're plotting to overthrow him. And um, I did like that that foil that he kind of needed because he, he was getting it from all sides. Oh. And admittedly, this is something that I personally just did not know with historical context. So I find it fascinating when you're you're like, oh, now he has this to deal with. Yeah. They were great foils. And they were great speed bumps or mountains that he had to turn around which he eventually does, but as as portrayed by Ronald Pickup, Neville Chamberlain, and and Stephen Delane, uh, who played Halifax, I mean they were they were good quote unquote villains. Even though the king too was sort of kind of set up as a villain and came to see, listen, I'm going to support him. <laughs> these two were 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 because you could tell the plotting and the politicking that was going on. And it was crazy considering what was at stake here. And you understood, too, if you're in that time, you understand why to try to negotiate with peace. Okay. We, we know we have, we have hindsight. We know that Hitler is a very, very bad man. You knew that he was becoming a bad man in this movie. But Churchill could have been wrong in certain decisions that he made and when you hear negotiating for peace you're like well that should be that that, that should be what we do we like we don't want to get into a war so it because it's it's almost a rational response and it's almost hard to well, let try me, to negate let me let me ask you more bluntly i guess huh. 
in terms of them, were they politicking for that because it was indeed the best option, or that was the best option for them to get the power that they desired? It's the latter, because yeah. uh, ne- Neville Chamberlain was just kicked out, so he's bitter, of course. Of course. And then we had Halifax, who you know he always wanted power, but he just unfortunately wasn't in that position to, to take over. And so I think it was more so, hey, let's... We just got out of power. Let's get back into it. If we, you know, over like do this and overthrow him and vote no confidence, that puts us back in the position that we can actually take over. Um, it's definitely for the latter. This was such Which a, is power a sad satire. Well, yeah, this politics. was such a power play for both of them. And I think it, it, uh, what I would go, I think it was a little bit like both, maybe a majority more of the latter. But I do believe that those characters believed. In negotiating and in, in, in attempting to negotiate peace, and I believed in their hearts. And again, this goes to not knowing what the people want. They put their emotions ahead of the people and said, "This is what the people want. This is what the people need. This is what they want." When they really weren't in touch with that reality whatsoever. And if they were in power, if they if they had nabbed power, I still think they would have tried to negotiate with that madman. So. Uh, thinking that it was a right course of action. And I think that's what makes Churchill's uphill battle like so difficult. Because when you're talking about, we want to negotiate peace, we don't want to get in a war, you're being a bull in a china shop, you could just get us in a war, and well, the, peace is obviously a little more popular, but you understand Churchill's. Churchill saw something that nobody quite yet had realized. Which, by the way, it's interesting. I mean, yes, we have the hindsight perspective on this, but to me, it's interesting that they wouldn't have learned from the whole reason why Germany had this whole uprising is because they felt the leaders of Germany let them down in World War One, <laughs> And so, and then the people rose up and, and declared the fewer the leader, i.e. Right. Hitler. And, 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 and so it's interesting in that way that, because... The, the fact that they're saying the king should go to Canada and so forth, yeah, I think the people that are in leadership of Britain with a peace treaty would have been okay. The rest of the people, if they weren't slaughtered, they were going to be essentially slaves. Right. Yeah. I, I think right. this film does a great job of showing that peace negotiations was the easiest out to save their own asses, essentially. Yes, and, absolutely. And that's why Winston Churchill was so against it. It's like, well, first let's fight before we give up. Because right. doing peace treaties is their their easy way out. That's right. to be like, hey, let's call it a day. Yeah. That's what I got out of it. Yeah, I did too. Um, any other major story? Well, let's talk about the the U.S. It was a little tidbit, but it was enough that yeah, you know um, it was a good little Easter egg, if you will. But also at the same time, for Churchill, it was like, I can't depend on those assholes either. Yeah, I I think it was like, not that America was assholes, but also America was in a... We were isolationists. Yes, we were in a rough spot where like we were well aware of what was happening in Europe, but also this is 1940. America's not in war yet. Not until Pearl Harbor, until 41. So you can tell that the U.S. wanted to help as much as they could. We were like, hey, but we have all these regulations for transportation and warfare we can do this for you but so long as it doesn't you know ruin our agreements of going into war you can tell fdr like unfortunately was kind of tied with his hands 
I, I looked at it as he wasn't tied with his hands. He was like, well, this is how we're going to help you. You can go up to Canada, and then you can then we'll get the ships, but we can't bring them into the water. And he's like, wait, did I hear that correctly? We're going to have to drag them from the land onto the... Horse. But, and, yeah, yeah, and, and you'll get horses. He goes, horses. And I'm like, and this was a thing, the, the way that it was set up to, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if my memory is incorrect, but he says, these are ships you promised me or that we bought. Yeah. Like, for the, mar you let, yeah, for the money you let for us the borrow. Money, for the money you loaned us, <laughs> we bought tacky. these ships. <laughs> we, we bought these ships. We There's no other time that we need them more now. And if you're like, well, you know, we really can't get involved. And I, I actually felt ashamed. <laughs> I was like, I know. that's like, sort of shitty. I mean, America like, doesn't really look great in this film no, right now. No. And, and, and I was like, well, that's, that's really shitty. That might have helped. I mean, I don't know how soon they could have gotten all those ships. But the resolution to try to get the ships... Which is just preposterous. You wait. You can't bring them into the water, so we have to go on land and drag. What was it? Sixty-five. How many ships was it? That's my memory fault. It was a good amount of ships. ships. Yeah, we're gonna have to drag them into the ocean. He's like, really? Yeah. It, it also. We're thinking of you though. Thoughts and prayers. Right. It also just shows like how much America didn't want to get into war yet. Right. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Well, unfortunately, we got into war later. But it just shows like all the all the excuses that they made just to avoid it. Right. Absolutely. And and at the time, it, it, it's funny that the treaty was kind of kind of the the out because at that point every treaty had gone out the window. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really did. And it really isolated that character. It isolated the character in England. But mm-hmm. the, like at that moment, well, because he had also dealt with uh, the the French a bit right. earlier. They they sat mm-hmm. down. It's like, oh, you got nothing for me, do you? Yeah. Yeah. So his own countrymen, friend, <laughs> France, in the United States, I mean, he couldn't have been more isolated. Uh, and he's just like, what the hell? <laughs> what am I going to do? I think it was a beautifully set up scene, the, the whole phone conversation with FDR, because we never actually see FDR. No. It's, it's literally just a voice, and only Winston Churchill isolated in a phone booth and you feel bad for him because the, the I think cinematography wise the way they shot it up it's, it's like black and both screens there's a lot of negative space he's literally alone in a room right and it just shows that he's alone in the country right now this was before the king started backing him up and right. they they used the close-up very strategically so they they showed him isolated but then when they needed to right oftentimes you kind of intercut and you get both men, or you cut to a reaction of a particular thing. Here, you had his when that close up came. You only had his reaction. He's like, "Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ!" Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's trying to be as of all things because we've seen him yell and this and that. So you would think he'd just start yelling in the damn telephone that time, but he's trying to be as diplomatic as he can be of like. Just trying to come up with a solution. Yeah. Right. I'm eventually going to get the. (laughs) I did buy those ships. Right. You just feel bad for him because he's reaching out to his friends slash ally countries and they're not even helping him yet. So you're like, crap. Yeah. 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 Well, it all went out the window, didn't it? Yeah. And and you're right. Um, I was glad that they didn't do like a split screen or whatever. I think the hemming and the hawing on the other end of the line 
just said it all. Uh, uh, How well, you doing, buddy? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the here's the thing of it. <laughs> it was it was really done well for mm-hmm. from even that audio perspective because he's acting with the telephone. Right. It was great. And we all know FDR was under a lot of heat back oh. in his day too. Oof. So that's a whole another three movies to follow mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Any other story points you guys want to talk about before we shift into more of the production side? I can't think of any. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, so let's talk about good old Joe Wright, <laughs> the director of obviously this one and a, and a lot of historical pieces, whether Pride and Prejudice, Atonement, which was uh, very well. I haven't very seen well. Anna Karina, no. I, um, actually. Um, yeah, I missed that one too. <laughs> did, did you, Dimitri? No. Oh, we're all seen, in the same boat. I have seen no. Pride and Prejudice. I mean, I've seen versions of Anna Karina, no? Just not and his. Pride, not his. All right, fair enough. story. Well, so he he loves history, uh, and you know he, I think he he tells it really well, and he he has the ability to really capture emotion and 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 whatnot, and, and I really appreciate it the way he does it. And in fact, um, I thought when when we talk about you mentioned the calendar coming down and so forth, he loves this idea of time and mm-hmm. playing with time. Even so, in particular, there's a great I, I included a link to an IMDb about him talking about tracking shots. Because it's not just the cinematography, but it's the playing of the time. Right. And I think that shows more than just in the shots of the script as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the time also did show, like, how much Churchill went through in the 20 days he was, you know, in power making these decisions. Because I think it just helps with the visual um, reinforcement um, uh, of the time, too. Because Mm -hmm. also just from going from scene to scene... But I think he also did a great job of just pacing because there was so much tension in this film. But we did have those good placed scenes throughout that broke the tension mm-hmm. and, and calmed it down. Like when he had the telephone, that was a good with FDR. Good moment to breathe. Um, the train station with everybody. Good moment to breathe. Even his small conversations with his wife. Um, just being like bringing him back to being a family man. Like, I love you. And I support you. Your whole family supports you. There were moments to breathe, right? And and the, there was there was humor. You know, I'm not calling the movie a comedy, but but the scene too, where Elizabeth confronts him, she has trepidation. She's she's afraid that he's going to yell at her for for about. You realize that this means up your bum. Like you, I know you probably meant to do this, which is victory. You did this; that doesn't mean victory. And you could see that he was starting to like. Well, she goes, "It means up your bum," and he's like, "That whole scene." And when he cracks up, all the air is let out of that room, and you can tell right there they start that bond. And it's it's a great scene because he did do that, (laughs) and um, yeah, he just told him to saw it off, up your bum, And and I liked how. Gary Ullman kept on echoing it down the hallway, yeah, and he's just laughing. Well, I'm very curious. Luckily, it was that, because if it was anything else, like, you know what I mean? Because like, he was having that up your bum, technically is his unofficial stance against the whole war room. <laughs> right. So, well, it, it works perfectly. But yeah. and, and for the common people to... To have that picture going, look, he just told everybody to saw it off. I mean, Edgar Wright uses this, uh, <laughs> he like uses the uses this, that a lot. So when he did it, it's like, oh, he, you don't know that he didn't know 
what he was doing. He just like, oh, I like victory. It was like a, it was a harmless act. Absolutely, you're like, okay, he he is human. Yep, you know? absolutely. And I think uh, for moments of levity, levity as well was when she was typing and he was in the bathroom. He's like, miss, I'm coming out in a state, so you know, Correct. naked. So like, <laughs> there were moments where you just had to laugh at him because yes. he is like a regular guy. Yeah, and and again, I think it's those moments too that make this. Not feel like you're taking medicine. It's not like you're seeing a history lesson. This is a movie, and it should be entertaining in which way. If I come out of it with something, uh, all the, I'm all the more better of a person for it. So, um, But I really do think that Joe Wright did a really good job. He surrounds himself with great, guy, with great talent and people that he's worked with before. The cinematography... Again, the way this movie looked, uh, Bruno Delabanel, who's worked with him before... Um, you know, I, I love the strategy to underscore Oldman's performance as Churchill as like if you are, if you noticed, we talk about the use of light. We talked about it in that mm-hmm. scene in the bedroom. And it's like they continually had Churchill coming out of darkness to confront his self-doubt, and this ultimately made him stronger and more popular. You always saw him, in a sense, coming out of light, or light was used as a as a separation device. Like, when he first met the king, and it was just beautifully framed and shot, so really well done. Or he well stepped done. back into the light. Correct, yeah. That was great. Uh-huh. Or also the moment when the king goes to visit him, he's literally alone in his bedroom loft area in the dark until his wife turns the light. Like, right. Hey, hey, the king is here. So you can tell there were moments where he actually sulked back into his dark world mm-hmm. in the darkest hour. I mean, the, the war room itself was one of the... Like, if, I, if that's where I had to work on a daily basis... <laughs> Dear Lord, that is a depressing hellhole. It's a dungeon. It's a a basement dungeon. It's, it's, you know, depressing. There's suffocation there. There's no windows. There's only one door. You're you're underground. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Overall. So, yeah, I I could see that wearing on people. And and as far as him, he does, uh, the cinematographer, Bruno, does tend to use color palettes stylized with warm tones, such as yellow and greens and so forth. In fact, he likes to keep things dark. He, uh, him, and David Heyman did one of the um, Harry Potter movies, and we'll, and they were like, uh, "We we gotta make it a little bit more saturated." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, speaking of Harry Potter, you know, a lot of castle work. So they shot in 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 a castle in North England, and they had this corridor. There were seventeen windows in the corridor. And uh, Delbanel um, suggested they put seventeen lights outside for a shaft of light to come in through this darkened thing. And, and uh, you know, obviously, Joe Wright liked the idea. Originally, originally, they, they meant, uh, the, the plan was to use exterior, like actual exterior sunshine. Unfortunately for them, they filmed in the wintertime. There's not much of that going on, so they had to uh, they had to actually take uh, production indoors and, and, and on a set, create what, you know, to get what they wanted. Day for night. So, uh, which I find very, you know, it's, it's movie making magic, I think, uh, and and cinematography, and this uh, really helps this movie along. Forever, you know. Yeah, I think the uh, production value just in the close-ups, um, <clears throat> definitely during the the war cabinet scene, mm-hmm. where you're getting like a bunch of alpha males just like going at it um, during like a, right. a battle wits and wills. Essentially, it was a lot of close-ups and mediums in that, and you could just see people's face and how they like right. really thought of each other. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And they actually worked at a pretty well paced, about 15 setups a day. Uh, they shot two cameras simultaneously overall. So if, when you think about it, that's, that's quite a bit of footage to be able to get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially you know when you have to be that precise with the lighting and um, and also choreography, I'll right. say you know or, or, or staging, if you will, uh, of the action. Th- there's a lot that goes into it, and the fact that they were able to do that many is a right. testament. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, on the flip side of kind of production, as far as Gary Oldman, he, he, he spent about at least 200 hours in makeup alone. Right. Wow. That's uh just give him Academy Award for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And what was what what actually this to me I found the most amazing uh about and this uh, another reason perhaps to give him the Academy Award. Come on, is it it should be his year his body of work. Mm-hmm. Um but in this movie in particular because it took it was so demanding to get into the makeup. And it wasn't just it wasn't just a fat suit, it was prosthetics on the face as well. Um, and we can go into the making of uh, the like we can go into the making of the fat suit in just a bit, but because it took so long for him to get into that makeup, Gary Oldman actually memorized the movie as he would a play. So he knew going in like what they were gonna be filming, what his what Churchill was going to say, he had it memorized, which to me, my memory, I, that, that muscle needs to be, is so underdeveloped, I can't tell you what I had for dinner last night, but to me, that's amazing. He approached it like a play, and Joe Wright said, I, he goes, that was instrumental in us being able to make those shots and having 15 setups a day. He didn't have to go through the script again. He knew. He wasn't, he couldn't, he couldn't read a script while being in the makeup chair. So he just took it to another level, and he just memorized it and as he would a, a, a play. I think that's amazing. Well, no wonder. He's so prepped. During his Golden Globe speech, he said, uh, my wife went to bed with Churchill and <laughs> yeah. woke up with Gary Oldman. But at least it, it's that way. I wouldn't have it the other way. Yeah. I, I did love that. But that's just a testament to him as an actor. And we, we've heard other stories because we've covered other Gerald right. films that, like, how seasoned he is as a, a veteran actor. Right. And, like, he definitely deserves an Academy Award. I wouldn't be surprised if he did win. Right. And it, it just shows, like, yes, the whole process of prosthetics and going through extensive makeup on a daily basis for a role such as this also just gave him the opportunity to hone his craft and memorize these lines as a good actor should like use your time wisely and he certainly did yeah and i think too that the the creation of the suit the, the um it was done by a kazuhiro uh, chuji and basically he only got the job because he and oldman um passed uh, they, they, they cross paths is what I'm looking to try to say. Um, Gary Oldman was originally attached to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. He ended up not being in the movie, but that gentleman, uh, Kazuhiro, did the prosthetics for Planet of the Apes. And Gary Oldman thought that he did a fantastic job. Uh, in fact, Kazuhiro was actually in retirement. And Gary Oldman persuaded him to come back. Uh, and and uh, he had done such an amazing job that they had taken pictures of Gary Oldman. They posted them up, and they had a Churchill historian come into the production offices, and they said, 
where did you get these pictures from? I, I've never even seen these pictures. And they're like, that's Gary Oldman. And he was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, that's amazing. So, again, it was just one of the, the briefest of moments in time in which they met for a movie that Gary Oldman didn't even do. <laughs> but he remembered what an amazing job he had done. And you have, and the way that it was, it didn't look like a fat suit. No, not to at me, all. No right? offense. If you see the pictures of all the money in the world with Kevin Spacey, that looked atrocious. Yes. Yes. No offense. No, yeah. yeah ag- agree. Was... Like, this looked so natural. And I think, you know, coupled with Oldman's just amazing performance, there were moments I was like, holy crap, what, what is Winston Churchill going to do? I was like, oh, yeah, this is Oldman, you know, right. acting. Like, I did lose him as as just the actor, but... As a role. As he, a role. He literally got engrossed in his role. Right. And, and let's put it to you this way. Um, roughly three hours, 45 minutes before a shoot, and 45 minutes after giving the actor a grueling 17-hour average day over his 48-day schedule. So, and again, he wow. couldn't look at it. He couldn't read a script to go over his lines. So he knew what they were filming that day, and he already had it memorized. Uh, that that's amazing to me. And he had to keep that in his head for 48, 48 days. And it's not like a play where you, you know, two, three hours, you're done for the evening, come back again. This is in segments, yeah. the way they're shooting it. Absolutely. Um, do you guys want to shift more, uh, into the post side of things? Unless you guys have anything else to add. Sure. Yeah, well, I, we can go, you know, the whole outfit only weighed about 14 pounds. Which is which in today's day and age, when you think about fourteen pounds, it's like okay. Yeah, actors but, gain more weight for a role than yes. actually being in prosthetics for a role. Absolutely. So that's actually not bad. Women who have to go through pregnancy in in their roles, you know, like if their character got pregnant, wear heavier right. s- stuff than that. So right. good for him. Yeah. Absolutely. So and, and you have to give the costume designer uh, some 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 credit as well. Because she made the clothes appear as if they were naturalistically fitted to flow and so that they didn't even bulge up. Uh, same thing with his neck and the bow ties. Uh, yeah, it was a, again, it was a perfect collaboration. Speaking of which, um, since you brought up the neck, I mean, uh, the cigars, he smoked about 400 cigars overall and eventually... Um, <clears throat> I forget what he got. but He, he got he, nicotine poison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he puffed so many of the Churchills. Well, well, it was named after that size. I smoke cigars. That size cigar was, was, was named after Churchill. Uh, it was a, Romeo, a Cuban Romeo and Julieta. Uh, about 450 bucks a pop. Okay. Uh, so that's $20,000 of smoked cigars that had to be lit relit new one lit just for continuity purposes and you'd have a oldman would say yeah you'd have a cigar that was three quarters smoked and you'd light it up and then over the course of a couple of takes it would go down then a prop man would come up replenish smoke 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 um yeah i don't think i'm not sure if we'll see gary oldman on the cover of cigar aficionado Anytime soon, albeit he would be an aficionado of that cigar. He should be in Thank You for Not Smoking. Yeah, I mean, I, to smoke that size of a cigar for me, about an hour and a half. Like, that's, I mean, and that's not being aggressive. 
I mean, he was smoking constantly. Well, that's what the character was. Talk about method acting. Yeah. I think that that's also really fascinating. I think one of the best, funniest lines in this film was when the wife, you know, Clementine was like, we can't pay our bills. You know, I'm not going to write another check. He was like, well, we'll economize. I'll only smoke four cigars a day. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was. I laughed so hard at that line. It was actually turning green under the prosthetics. I'll only four, smoke so, four cigars Yeah, it, it Mind you, too, they were actually like that's a that's a pretty solid cigar. Uh, I've actually had long. one of those. In Greece. Oh, what I that's kept why watching the, the film. Trip. I was like, wow, those that's are a long cigar. cigars. Yeah, it's a big cigar, Good. and he always had one. And if he's smoking twenty. 20 a day is it at least 400 of them at 50 bucks a pop uh that that to me is i can't two for me and i'm like cigar hangover i can only imagine plus being in makeup plus being under lights right can you imagine (laughs) churchill actually churchill's doing this and always just drinking he right. was always well, drinking. And you just have to, you have to remember Churchill had a completely physical different body type that was, you know, adapted to that um to that. Uh, I don't know whose style. body is adapted to like the booze, the scotch, the scotch Churchill and Churchill apparently was. Uh, the eggs, the bacon, the meal, and he would have it in the morning, he would have it at noon, he had to have his nap. I mean, this is why I call him he's a character. Like you can't write that. It really, it, that's that he is a character. Yeah. You know. To so. all of our alcoholic <laughs> listeners, and here's what I will say: as great as he was in history, I don't take any. The man is nothing short of remarkable, but still a man. So that's inspiring. Imagine how much he maybe more could have done if he wasn't always boozed up. That's all I'll say. Some people will Someone. argue because he was boosted up. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, I, I've heard that argument before, but I actually, I think, I don't know, there, there, there's something to it. In I the think sense that added to his character. I'm, I'm not condoning it. I get it. I know. It, I'm it, not, I'm who not he condoning is. it. It it is who who, who he was. He, who he was. Um, his wife obviously loved him for it. Other people, depending. I don't know if she loved him for that. Well, but she loved him unequivocally there and. Well, she did say, I, I love the line, well, I couldn't divorce a third husband. <laughs> so that's that why great. we're together. So who knows? I believed it was a little deeper. She's a person who runs away. She's, she's a runner. She's a runner. <laughs> All right. So enough cigars, enough booze. Moving on to the post-production side of things. Um, so... I don't know. Uh, I kind of want to start with the music, simply because, in a sense, the mu- I know it's always editing that dictates the music, but but the the score in a lot of Joe Wright's movies, the, the, it's kind of just perfect, and it propels the scene forward. Yes, and and oftentimes that that's what I find so, and especially like the train scene, you just had that small buildup, and you knew we were going somewhere. Yeah. I think it helped with building the emotion. That's why that train scene for me, it had those warm and fuzzy. That's awesome. You know, and and you're right. Uh, He's worked with this Marianelli, um, Dario Marianelli before. What I found the most interesting is, is um, when Joe Wright approached him, you know, he's the only director, Marianelli says, who asked me to start writing music before shooting. You know, and it anchors the music at a at a previs level. So they're not, pardon me, they're not using like previs type of temp tracks. 
actually using Mary's tracks. You know, about he started writing this a year, almost a year before they actually came down and said action. Yeah. For the first time. Uh, Mary Nelly had about seven pieces of music already composed for this film before even seeing the picture mm-hmm. herself. So, which is just a testament <clears throat> as a composer. Um, yeah. To, to write something so like emotional that fits so well with something that he visually hasn't seen. A- absolutely. And the only thing you really had to go on. Uh, two was was um, an old scratchy photograph of Winston Churchill, and he used that. And um, Marinelli says there was an energy in the photo. There's of Churchill, yeah, Churchill leaning forward and some motion blur the way that it was framed, and then in a sneaky move that helped his longtime partner understand how well the film was going to work. Wright confessed to Marinelli that the photo was actually of Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> so again. Two people fooled by the. That's good. By by Gary Oldman, but the, how it inspired, how this one photo inspired such a such a really decent score. And to your points, it helps it helps move the movie along. And it helps. Yeah, it, it's just because instead of, you know, you're often imagining, and and sometimes they call it temp love, where you edit <laughs> to something, uh, to to a certain piece of music, you stick it in there, and then. You know, in a, in, you, you write the actual score, and then I don't. It works for directors and it works for editors. You kind of feel let down. You're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. that's not as good as our temp score. It's like, but you can't use the temp score. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so the fact that the two, because you can build a scene around, even though obviously it can get adjusted, but the fact that you get that feeling and so forth, yeah, it's just two two things coming together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the music did a great job of um, showcasing the film from the beginning to the end, you know, bookending it, because at the beginning of the film, the whole country is in disarray, already believing that they're defeated. And then at the end, with Winston's amazing speech, he will, leaves the room and the whole music is boisterous. Like, yeah. you're actually believing in the country again. Right. Like, you believe you can actually win. But um, it doesn't overtake the scene. No, it doesn't. But it's a complete 180 flip Absolutely. from how the movie actually started from, you know, dismay to actual hope at the yeah, end. Yeah, true. It never, yeah, the, the, the music, the score never steps on a scene and says, listen to me. Um, Allow the movie to express emotion, and and we're going to pat it because it's going to help it move forward. And that's I thought that the music worked very well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <clears throat> and, and and sort of the ending overall. Uh, you know, it, when you're basically overall, you have to focus on the character of Churchill, but how you do that? So you have to be very strategic in going to reaction shots right. or or so forth. And uh, I, I thought they did a find balance of both you know knowing exactly when to not be on him but knowing exactly when to be on him or when to cut to a different angle of him for the better take right right and the interesting thing about the editing valerio bonelli um who's the main editor he and his assistants and joe wright and his assistants they all actually all lived together during this film and usually we always hear that editors don't really aren't on set watching the film um but they were actually on set a lot seeing everything being taken 
and and then they would go back to their their house that they set up for the editing during the night and watch all the dailies. So like they had the clear idea of what they filmed during the day to what they were going to edit at night. Right. Here's my so bias. during the real life time process. Here's my bias, by the way. Oftentimes people say, well, number one, it's it can be a time thing, but on the few times that people say that it, it creates a bias within the editor, I think that's a load of horseshit. Go f yourself. <laughs> The more they're involved in the process, I get it. Time, time, and money might be an issue, but if they can be part of the process, let them be part of the freaking process. Uh, especially right. that, like, even yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you should be. You should. They should be working in tandem. And I always think that director, cinematographer, editor. Those three people, in order to set up their shots and figure out, uh, try to have that previs, whether it's in their head or whether they're animating it out or storyboarding you know how you're going to have your shot how it should look what i'm going to cut to um this this movie again for a historical movie too had a flow i mean this isn't this isn't a war movie this is a piece of history it's a piece of parliamental procedure how are we going to make this tense and exciting and how are we going to make it warm how are we going to make this humanistic and that all falls under your leader, the director, and how he's going to utilize his editor and cinematographer. And then all the production design and everything else falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out. Uh, they sculpted it really well. And again, it, it, the, the movie, I mean, every movie should pick up pace towards the latter half. But it, it just picked up such tremendous pace that I really wasn't expecting the movie to end when it does. <laughs> And yeah, I, I, that, that's my, as I said before. That's my only negative criticism of it because it just you know you had me on such an uptick right. that where are we going with this? And, and, and it's a movie that clocks in just a little over two hours, like maybe two ten, maybe or no, no less than that. that. And that that just includes a long list of credits right. primarily. Right, I, I think it was like right around the the two hour mark. Um, but the, I think the great thing just about the editing, like it does a great job of just building the character arc of Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. being at the beginning for first talking in Parliament and the whole country is against him, to at the end when the, he changed the whole country <laughs> um, and to be on his side and back him up, like that's right. amazing. They, right. And they visually show that with amazing pace. I agree. Um, absolutely. Now, so the. As far as promotion, obviously now with the award season, it's getting a lot of buzz and it's getting uh, for for old men. Um, just curious, is this a movie? Is this a movie because American audiences don't understand how the British government perhaps works in particular? Not is this movie more for older people and history buffs versus? I feel like I don't know. This might be my own bias, but if it was a more if it was an American historical movie, a lot more American audiences would kind of go see it more. Absolutely, um, but it is World War II, which did ultimately affect so many countries, and America did eventually get mm-hmm. involved. But if you think about it, the people and the characters in you know real life people who was involved in these actual events, they're not teenagers. They're not the young demographic. They are the older people in Mm -hmm. government. It is the age demographic from 30 and up. So it makes sense that people of our age from like the older 20s to to the 50s and the baby boomers would love this film because it's the same age of the people who are actually in the film. Right, and and I think 
another reason this movie works, too, is because you can show this in a history class and talk about, you have so many great talking points, not just about the man himself, but the history surrounding this and the parliamental procedure and about World War II. And then you can lead off into how eventually America got into World War II and how America at the beginning was so separatist against, like, they didn't want to be a part of this. So... And I think that it would be entertaining for kids. I do under, I mean, obviously, this is meant, this is Academy Award season. It's not necessarily a commercial film. Um, so it's not reaching out to the superhero crowd. It's not, it's not, it's not reaching out to teenagers. Um, but focus even, even with that said, even with all of that, oh, and it's not a horror movie either. Um, so it was for Churchill. Sure, but. <laughs> But even with all that said, domestically, the movie's done $46 million. Domestically, it, that's pretty decent for a movie of the stature. Now, is it being helped by Oscar buzz? Probably. But here's the kicker. When you add in the foreign gross of $53 million, this movie worldwide has made over $100 million. That's amazing for this movie because $100 million, that's... That's commercial reckoning right there. That's commercial box office, regardless of whether it's it's that's worldwide. So that's that's fantastic to me to to hear about that because that does mean people are going out to see this movie. And with this Oscar buzz, um, hopefully it gets more and more people out to see it. I, I think, it, and with American history being what it is too, I think it's a really great movie to juxtapose. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, and I think it's just the timing of it. Also, there are some generations, like <clears throat> the baby boomers and whatnot, that are still very um, aware of what happened at this time. Who would like to actually go see this film for the historical context and what actually happened? People, or like even the grand grandparents and great grandparents, people are still around that know of True. this time, so it is still relevant. Well, here's why Joe Wright says it's even more relevant, in particular to the U.S., uh, especially in the turmoil, as he says, under the leadership of Donald J. Trump. He said, there's a big question in America at the moment. What does good leadership look like? Churchill resisted when it mattered most, and as I travel around America, I am really impressed and optimistic at the level of resistance happening in the U.S. at the moment. After George W. Bush was elected, it wasn't the same level. There was more apathy then. Now people are very vocal, and that's really positive. Again, that's you know his politics into it, but and his stance on American politics. But you know, take that for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, this is the same time as Adolf Hitler. So, like, oh, yeah. who who do you really want to see a movie more about, Churchill or Hitler? Let's be right. honest. So you're, you're going to go with Churchill because he's the the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, and and again, I think too the release of this movie, not to raise the ire of of our audience. I don't mean to, but I, I have to say, you know, Dunkirk was released earlier this year. I think going off of that audience too, which plays to an older audience as well, right? I mean, it got in some of the young girls um, because of that actor. Uh, Tom Hardy, yeah. So, but Harry Styles. Oh, Harry Styles. Harry Styles. But I think that too. With that, there is for the people who saw it, there is that recollection, that recall, that Mm -hmm. this is sort of kind of around those events, and I think that that I think in a way that helped. 
it, you know, it definitely helped because we know with the the timing of Dunkirk in that film, it tell, <clears throat> told people this was essentially one of Winston Churchill's first big victory. Yeah, it, and it, <laughs> we know that it had a positive outcome. So. It, it would make people want to go see Darkest Hour because you know he can't be all that bad if he had if he managed to order something that ended up so good. And if my memory serves, I believe I saw the trailer for Darkest Hours on Dunkirk, and then when you see it after again, when you've seen the trailer, they really did make a conscious effort to mention Dunkirk. So you know, I think that was part of the strategy. But then you also have this amazing performance by Gary Oldman to anchor this movie on and uh that that helps immensely because people want to see a performance like this well I'm, I'm i'm glad speaking of dunkirk in general as we get into award season that finally uh chris nolan is getting recognition mm-hmm. on that academy level beyond just sort of the more periphery side sure. of things right. sure but darkest hours i think uh benefited from the release and their marketing for Focus, uh, they did a really good job. I, I really, I, it was a line that I loved in this movie. My request was not a request, it was a command! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was yep. good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I appreciated that. Yeah, it, you believed everything that he said, and uh, Gary Oldman, you know, he's just, he's one of those actors, he's an actor's actor. When you think about his, his his whole career, right, he's had some amazing roles. Uh, he's taken some crappy roles, too. As every actor but, does. But he does. He's taken, if you look through his filmography, he's had a handful of them. And you can tell, like, listen, he just wants to act. He needs to, he has a family. Mm-hmm. Take care of the family. I want to act. and But he's in such a great position where he can take that shitty role and then a darkest hours will come his way. And he'll go, yes, I want to do that. He's not going to maybe get paid as much. Uh, who knows what his, his contract or back-end deals. But look at the accolades he's getting for this. He, they, we will tend to forget about the crappier roles or the smaller roles that, we, that, that, that he's, he'll take. But remember, he was the villain in Air Force One. I mean, this guy has such presence. And it wasn't really until Harry Potter... In a sense, when... I think it definitely it Harry Potter him. being serious. Like, <clears throat> Gary Oldman had an amazing career in Europe, but it wasn't until Harry Potter that, like, really revealed the amazing actor who he was worldwide. Right. And he was, he was primarily, a lot of people remember him for being villainous until yeah. maybe Harry Potter, where he wasn't. And then, of course, he plays James Gordon. Yeah. You know, he took he's yeah, he's I mean this is the guy. I remember the 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 Ebert and Siskel review of Sid and Nancy. And both of them talked about the performance of this new guy that needed you needed to watch Gary Oldman. And then he was in the professional. I mean, geez, he was the villain in the professional um or Leon uh, Luke Besson's movie with Nat, little baby Latin, Natalie oh, Portman. Professional, yeah. I mean, he is such a he's such a crazy villain, but he's really crazy good, yeah. um, you know, in all of his roles. Well, I'm glad, and and the, both the movie and him are getting a lot of praise. We we know what happened with the Golden Globes, um, so kudos to him there. Uh, as we head into the Oscars, we're a couple weeks away. Uh, we'll see there. Yeah, Academy Award loves actors who transform themselves into roles. Right. They really do. So it puts him in a great position to win. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's his year. And it happens to be a, a good movie. Absolutely. As well. 100%. Um, it would be interesting if he won and then Dunkirk got Best Picture. That would be very funny. <laughs> oh, no, so, sorry, Joe Wright. That's, I'm, I'm not actually advocating that. I just find it would be funny. Ironic. Yes. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I enjoyed this film. I'm glad I watched it twice um, because there is so much in this film that's so important to to the world and to just how the countries, you know, became and how they are today. And I, I think it's an amazing story to tell that really did affect a whole, you know, nation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a very great, it's, it's, a, it's a great cinematic experience. Uh, and there is another side to this story. And that's why I couldn't help but think of movies like Hidden Figures. Um, because there's another side to the story that we just don't know about. We've, we've heard of Churchill as a character, as the man, you said, Monday morning people, uh, inspirational quotes. But mm-hmm. to see the man portrayed in this, and there's been many other actors who portrayed Winston Churchill. I think that it's, uh, it, was, it was a great movie, and it is a fantastic portrayal that can, this is what really good cinema can be about. It just opens up your mind, and you see good quality entertainment on the screen. Keyword, you're entertained by history lesson. Absolutely. And I I appreciate it a lot. Um, you know, I think uh, we, we even did Molly's Game, and that pulled a Winston Churchill quote. So he is forever tied into many, many things. Uh, a lot of people historically have great quotes, but, again, you'd be very hard-pressed to find someone as often as used as Churchill. So... Uh, that about does it for us. Thank you guys as always. Please do comment and and let us know what you thought of the movie, what we didn't talk about, what you want us to talk about. And we'll chat with you guys in the comment section. The conversation sure. begins here, but it does not end here. Just like the movie. That was the start of Churchill's career. It was not the end. Um, and ironically, you know, one of the one of the cool parts they talk about how he was sort of outed in forty five, but then he was reelected, I believe, in fifty one again. Um, check me, but it was the 50s for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Anywho, um, hmm. as we round up, speaking of Oscars, as we round up into award season, towards the finale of things, we will be finishing out talking about the, the various nominated movies next week, The Post, and I'm forgetting what else. Um, Marissa and I call will be... Call me by your name. Call me by your name. Um, Marissa and I will be talking I, Tanya. I'll um, be here too for I, Tanya. Oh, look at that. There you go. All right. Um, so anyway, they're already kicking me out. <laughs> Damn it! Well, the behind the scenes was he said he was only doing one movie. Anyway, <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you guys next time for another Anatomy movie. Speaking of the past, we have plenty of uh, things in our past in terms of reviews that we've done. A lot of Gary Oldman movies. Um, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs> Yes, go check out Dunkirk. We've talked a lot about that movie. Anyway, uh, chat with at Serafini TV. That's right. And at DMovies1701. Thank you. Yeah, support me on Twitter. Absolutely. And I'm at Phil Svitek. This is at the Popcorn Talk. Yeah, I just wanted to say, too, regarding Twitter. You know, there was really big news that came out this week, and I was very... I was disappointed to hear it, okay? Uh, A person whose opinion that I've always respected, Richard Roper, was accused of buying Twitter followers. I didn't even know this was a thing, that you can buy Twitter followers. So to all the people who follow me, 
I, I reckon you do it for free because I can't afford to pay you all. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate your support in Twitter. And I've had some really good conversations and have met some really cool people uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise met had I not been on Twitter. I have to thank Phil and Marissa for urging me because I did <laughs> sign up under protest. <laughs> but oh, it's go. been fun. And I, and I do really appreciate the support on Twitter. There so thanks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you guys next time on another Anatomy of a Movie. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principal.